Regardless of what we may think of our present possessions and daily food, we must realize that they are from God. It is out of God's great providence that we are provided for regularly. Welcome to Every Last Word, a radio and internet program with Dr. Philip Ryken, teaching the whole Bible to change your whole life. The concept of bread in the Old Testament typically points forward to the bread of life in the New Testament, which is Jesus Christ. Well, Phil, in today's message, you'll speak of how the Old Testament looks forward to the New. In what way does that happen specifically in today's story? Well, Mark, this is something I love to do, and I think listeners of this program will recognize that. When we talk about every last word, one of the things that means to me is that every last word in the Bible relates to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if Elijah is compared to John the Baptist in the Bible, and John the Baptist was the one who came before Jesus, and Elijah was the one that came before Elisha, If you can follow the logic of that, well then, Elisha, following the ministry of Elijah, has something to show us about Jesus Christ. He's the one that came after, the one that Elijah was preparing the way for. And we'll see that today in a miracle that Elisha performs, providing bread for his followers. And of course, that's the kind of miracle that Jesus performed. And Jesus referred to himself as the very bread of life. Indeed, in normal daily conversation, when we use the word bread, we're thinking of food. But in the Bible, the word bread takes on a more spiritual meaning. How do we see Jesus as the one who provides for our physical and material needs as the bread of life as well? Well, that's a good question, Mark. And of course, that's really the point Jesus was making when he talked about himself as the bread of life. People were coming to him. They wanted the physical bread. They wanted the miracle. They wanted to have that physical nourishment. But Jesus was saying, look, what I have to offer you is going so much deeper than that. I am the very bread of life itself. And bread is this basic thing that we all need on a daily basis. And Jesus is saying, that's how much you need me. I am your life itself. And we'll be reminded in today's message of the wonderful way that God provides for our material needs, but even more so our spiritual needs in Jesus. Good. Thank you, Phil. Let's turn in our Bibles now to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 38, and listen to God's Word for us today. When I was in college, it was customary for the dining service to serve leftovers on Saturday night. These leftovers usually took the form of items of food served earlier in the week and then sort of jumbled all together to make a casserole on Saturday night. And the notice board at the front of the dining hall usually put some kind of name on each dish, and they often used words like mystery or surprise. Well, on one memorable occasion, a student had gone and erased the title that had been given on the notice board, and put simply, Death in the Pot. (laughs) Now, that may not have been very charitable, but at least the student knew his Old Testament. Remember, 2 Kings chapter 4 tells a story about a bitter stew which was served to the prophets of Israel, and when they tasted it, they said, O man of God, there is death in the pot. Well, the story of death in the pot is, in a way, rather amusing, but at the time it was no laughing matter. Elisha returned from Gilgal, we read in verse 38, and there was a famine in that region. 
literally a famine in the land, meaning the whole land of Israel. Perhaps the same famine mentioned in chapter 8, which lasted for seven long years. Wherever there is famine, there is always hardship and suffering and sometimes even death. During this particular food shortage, the great prophet Elisha had more than himself to worry about. There was also the school of the prophets to consider. Elisha was practically serving as the president of his own seminary. One hundred men came to him for training and for spiritual guidance, and every day they gathered around his feet to listen to his teaching. Now, nobody goes to seminary for the meal plan, but the prophets still needed to be fed, and so Elisha called for dinner. Now, the company of the prophets was meeting with him. He said to his servant, put on the large pot and cook some stew for these men. And the servant did the best he could. He got up from class and he went out into the fields to gather herbs and he found a wild vine. He wasn't quite sure what it was, but he gathered some of the gourds and he put them into the folds of his robe. And when he returned, he cut them up into the stew, although the scripture says no one knew what they were. Well, that last phrase is rather alarming. Apparently, none of Elisha's students knew enough about the flora of Gilgal to be quite sure what was going into the stew, but they were so hungry that they tried to eat it anyway. And when it was poured out for them, as they began to eat it, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. Now, there has been some discussion, as there always is, about what exactly went in the pot. Death in the pot sounds pretty bad. The gourds may have been poisonous, but at the very least, they were so bitter that the stew could not be eaten. I think Howard Voss probably offers the best explanation. When they were put in the stew, some of the group recognized the taste of the gourds, now usually identified with Citrullus colocynthus, that were known to have powerful laxative properties and to be fatal if taken in substantial quantity. Well, whether the gourds were actually poisonous or not probably doesn't matter. The point is that the meal was completely inedible. And yet the prophets needed something to eat because they were famished. And so in great distress, they begged Elisha to cure the stew. They understood that their teacher was a man of miraculous powers. And what Elisha did was perform a miracle. He said, get some flour and when... He had some flour, he simply put it into the pot, and he said, serve it to the people to eat, and there was nothing harmful in the pot. The point is not that Elisha was some great chef or that he was an expert in spices. By itself, flour is no antidote for poison, nor does it have enough flavor to sweeten what is bitter. Now, what happened was a genuine miracle. By the power of God, the prophet turned the death in the pot into a savory stew. And not long afterwards, Elisha performed another miracle, the feeding of the 100. This miracle began with a visitor. A man from Baal Shalishah came, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. While the harvest had been small, this 
quantity of food was not large. These barley cakes were rather flat, more like pancakes than like loaves of bread. So humanly speaking, there was not enough bread to feed a hundred men, not nearly enough. It was little more than an appetizer, which is why Elisha's servant said what he said, how can I set this before a hundred men? Well, he was thinking in merely human terms. There was so little food, it would be preposterous to set it out in front of so many men. But Elisha had learned not to think in human terms, but in terms of the power of God. And he answered, give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. Once he had uttered the prophecy, Elisha multiplied the loaves. They ate and they had some left over according to the word of the Lord. The Bible doesn't explain it. It doesn't explain how Elisha ended up with a surplus. But it was, of course, a miracle. Through the word of God's power, what was too little to serve became too much to eat. Now these miracles suggest for us several lessons. The first lesson is so obvious, and yet most Christians need to learn it over and over again, and it is simply this, that God will take care of you. God will take care of you. This is the doctrine of the providence of God. The same God who made heaven and earth can and will provide for your daily needs. One of the striking things about Elisha's miracles is that they all seem to meet some kind of physical need. Healing the water, winning a battle, filling jars of oil, raising a boy back to life, curing a leper, and now also feeding a multitude. All through the ministry of Elisha, God gave his people what they needed to live. He even gave them life itself. These miracles show that God is concerned about the body as well as the soul. God will take care of your physical needs. What story can you tell about God's providential care in your own life? One remarkable story is told by the missionary Robert Ewing. Ewing traveled to the remote areas of Siberia, and there he met a Russian family which was living in exile. Father was a minister, and the communists had deported the family because he had been preaching the gospel. During their first long, cold winter, the family fell into serious hardship. They used up all of their supplies, and eventually they ran out of food altogether. All they had was a little water. That night, as they huddled around the dinner table, the parents set out the water. And then the father thanked God for their daily bread. And then they drank their water and went to bed. And there one of the children began quietly to cry. But where is the bread, Daddy? The child asked. I don't know, the father answered. But our heavenly father will provide the bread. Not long afterwards, there was a knock at the door. The door opened, 
and a hand reached into the room and placed a loaf of bread on the floor. And yet by the time the father was able to scramble to reopen the door, the stranger was gone. The father took the bread and went up from bed to bed, feeding each member of his family, and he never discovered who the stranger was. But he did know who provided the bread. God provided the bread. He is the one who provides for every need. Another man who learned how to trust in God for daily bread was Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission. There are many remarkable stories from the life of Hudson Taylor about God's provision, but one spring Taylor's funds ran so low that he almost ran completely out of money. Yet the more desperate his finances became, the more confident he became that God would provide for his needs. In April, he wrote, the balance in hand yesterday was 67 cents. The Lord reigns. Here is our joy and confidence. And the balance dropped lower still. We have 25 cents, he wrote, and all the promises of God. By the 1st of May, Taylor was able to write, I feel no anxiety, though for a month past I have not had a dollar in hand for the general purposes of the mission. The Lord will provide. And that is the truth of Scripture. That we have, no matter what else we have, all of the promises of God, including this promise that the Lord will provide. And this promise is especially precious to those who are Christian workers. It's perhaps significant that the men Elisha helped were prophets. They were engaged in full-time study and ministry in the service of God. While it's true that God provides for all of his children, he takes special care of those who labor for his kingdom. The promise of God's care is for missionaries, for ministers, for all kinds of Christian workers, including even seminary students. Even when they do not have very much, God's faithful servants always have enough. As Hudson Taylor used to say, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. What about your situation? How is God caring for you? What is your story of God's providing care? God has never performed a miracle to take care of me, at least as far as I am aware. My story is simply this, that I have never gone without adequate food or clothing or shelter. In the very first moments of my life, when my mother took me to her breast until this very morning when I had a bowl of cereal and a glass of juice and peanut butter and jelly on an English muffin, God has always taken care of me. You may be able to tell much the same story, or maybe your story is different. Perhaps you have gone without food, or without shelter, or even without some clothing for a time. Or perhaps God has performed a miracle for you. And yet ultimately, your testimony is the same, that one way or another, God has taken care of your daily needs, and God will continue to do so. When you trust him for those things which you need in your life right now, both now and for the days to come, 
The words of the old hymn are true. All you may need, he will provide. God will take care of you. Trust him, and you will be satisfied. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. This is the first lesson to be learned from Elisha's miracles. However, the way that God takes care of you often is through the obedience of one of his other servants. And this brings us to a second lesson. Since God does take care of you, you must take care of others. You must take care of others. There are several examples of taking care of others in these stories. Elisha cared for his fellow prophets. He ordered out for them when they were hungry. Even the servant, who was rather foolish, tried his best to take care of his brothers. Yet perhaps the best example of taking care of others is this man from Baal Shalishah, mentioned in verse 42. It tends to be overlooked because, of course, Elisha is the star of the show, and yet this man is significant in his own right. His name has been forgotten, and yet this anonymous individual is an example for us of faith and obedience. The man came bringing 20 loaves of barley baked from the first ripe grain. Although there had been a famine, this man had managed to gather at least a small harvest of barley. And when the harvest began, he took the very first grain that he harvested and he baked it into small cakes. You see, this shows that the man knew what the Bible teaches about tithing. God always told his people to offer the first fruits of the harvest to him. And of course, Christians should do the same with their income. Tithing, that is to say, giving a portion of our income to the Lord's work, is not a matter of generosity, it's a matter of honesty. Everything we have and are comes from the Lord. Everything we have and are belongs to the Lord. One good way to show that we accept that fact is to offer our first and our best to the Lord's work. What this man did in Scripture was an act of obedience. It was also an act of great faith. No doubt he was trying to survive the famine himself, and yet he was more concerned about the needs of others than his own needs. He had so much confidence in God's ability to take care of him that he went far out of his way to take care of others. You know, it seems that some Christians have the idea that the hungry should feed themselves, or that if they are hungry, God should look after them. This attitude shows not only a lack of love, but also a lack of faith. Consider the words of the prophet James, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead.
But you see, this man from Baal Shalishah had a living faith. He trusted in the providing care of God, and then he proved the reality of his faith by giving bread to the hungry. Now, of course, God could have fed his prophets without this man's help. With or without 20 loaves of barley bread, God could have empowered Elisha to feed more than a 100 men. God's providence does not depend on our obedience because God does not depend on us. Nevertheless, God used this man's offering to glorify himself. The man sets a good example for us. Do you give your first and your best to the Lord's work? Do you feed the hungry and give to the poor? Since God takes such very good care of us, we must take good care of others. And then there is one final lesson to be learned from Elisha's miracle. I suppose it's the most important lesson of all. Ultimately, Elisha's miracle is not just about bread, it is about the bread of life. What you really need is not just daily bread, what you really need is Jesus Christ. That's what the miracle is about. You see, Elisha's feeding miracle was repeated hundreds of years later by Jesus Christ. You may remember the story. Jesus and his disciples faced the very same problem that Elisha faced. Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And Philip answered, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. You see, Jesus not only faced the same problem Elisha faced, he faced the same kind of skepticism from his servants. Another disciple, Andrew, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus had the same meager resources Elisha had, right down to the barley bread. And then Jesus performed the very same miracle. He had less food to start with. He had more mouths to feed, but he performed the same kind of miracle. He took the loaves, and he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And even after they had all had enough to eat, there was more to be gathered, 12 baskets full of the pieces of the five barley loaves left over. And again, we don't know how Jesus did it, but we know it was a miracle. What was too little to serve became too much to eat. And you see, Elisha's feeding miracle prepared the way for the miracle that Jesus performed. Elisha points us to Christ. And this makes good biblical sense if, as we learn, John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come, then Elisha must in some way be like the Christ. Jesus is the one who explains to us finally what the bread is all about. You see, over and over again, all through the Old Testament, God was always providing bread for his people. He gave Abraham bread. He sent manna from heaven for Moses. He fed David and his servants in the temple. He provided bread for Ruth from the barley harvest, and he empowered Elijah and Elisha to perform these miracles of bread. And then Jesus came, and he gave the people more bread than ever. 
And it was so tasty that the people wanted to sign up for a sort of permanent meal plan. They followed Jesus around to the other side of the lake. And they found him there, and they asked him how he got there. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, this is John chapter 6, verse 26. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And Jesus told them what kind of bread they really needed. He said, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. You see, the people wanted bread, but Jesus didn't want them to want bread. He wanted them to want himself. Over and over again, God had said to his people, here, have some bread. Here, have some bread. And then God's own son came, and the people said, give us more bread. But Jesus said, no, you don't understand. I am the bread. I am your provision. I am your nourishment and your sustenance. I am life itself. The reason that God has always provided bread is because he wants his people to understand that they cannot live without him. Bread is like that. Human beings must have bread to live. We can live without asparagus or without butterscotch crimpets or french fries. We cannot live without our daily bread. And by giving it to us, God wants us to understand, not that we can't live without bread, but that we can't live without him. We go through life hungry for so many other things. We think we're hungry for food or for relationships or popularity or success or health or happiness or financial security. What your soul is really starving for is God himself. God has made us to crave him, to be famished for him, to hunger after him. He wants us to understand that we have no life outside of him. This lesson was deeply impressed upon me not long ago. For the past six months or so, and I invite others to join me, I have been fasting on Tuesdays to pray for the work of church planting in our city. It's a partial fast. I have a glass of juice in the morning, and then I go without food again until the evening. I don't find it easy. I enjoy eating too much to enjoy fasting very much. I get hungry. My stomach starts to growl, and by the time I go home at the end of the day, I am ravenous. On a recent Tuesday, I walked home hungry, opened the door and went up to the kitchen and opened the cupboard and grabbed the first comestible I could find and began stuffing my face. Whereupon I was given an instantaneous theological conviction. This is how much I need Jesus Christ. This much. This much that I must have him. He is my nourishment, my taste, and my satisfaction. The wonder of the gospel 
is that Jesus gives us what we most need. He gives us himself, himself as the truth, himself as the atoning sacrifice for sin, himself as the resurrection who gives life and hope even over death, himself as the door and the gate to heaven. You see, Jesus is the bread, and he invites us to come and to eat and to eat and to eat, and still there is more of him left over. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Amen, and let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come now to your table, and we have some clearer sense of what the bread is. It's life itself. It's nourishment. It's what we need to live both now and forever. And we give you thanks and praise for that generous provision of daily bread and for that generous provision of the bread of life. And it is in the name of that bread that we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Every Last Word, a ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Philip Graham Ryken. We appreciate your ongoing support of this broadcast ministry. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades, even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching that will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. The Alliance also produces the radio broadcasts The Bible Study Hour, featuring the teaching of the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, and Dr. Barnhouse in the Bible, featuring the Bible teaching of the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. For a full list of radio stations carrying our programs, please visit our website at www.alliancenet.org. Every last word continues through your generous gifts and financial support. If you would like to see this program continue to benefit others as it has benefited you, please prayerfully consider becoming a friend of the Alliance. For more information or to make a contribution, please contact us by calling toll-free 1-800-488-1888. You can also send us a gift by writing to Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, PA, 19103. Or you can visit us online at www.alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians. Thank you again for your continued support and for listening to Every Last Word.